I'm uh, really thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning as well. Um, we've been meeting uh, as a preaching team in the last few months and uh, really encouraging Ant and Helen because they do the majority of the preaching in this church. But we're really thankful for a new team of guys who are coming on board uh, in the last few months. And it's really bringing, I guess, our individual um, spheres of, of how we, 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 I guess, convey messages, but also our hearts as well. And um, this is one of those messages where uh, you might already think we've already covered this because Michael Hunter did a wonderful job a few weeks ago in covering uh, the mission statement of Paul, if you remember. If you didn't cu- get it, um, go onto the podcast and, and grab, uh, grab that and you can listen back to what he preached on. Um, but I'm going to be covering a part of the same passage, but from a different, slightly different light this morning. And uh, it's a topic which is pretty, um, I would say, challenging because uh, one of the things that Believe it or not, in life, we, we go through good times. We have great times in life, don't we? We have really wonderful times where we feel like on top of the world. But there are also times in our lives, and this is the reality of just what life is like, that there are hard times, there are difficult times, there are challenges and trials. And this morning I'm going to be sharing from the book of Colossians how Jesus Christ is still supreme. He is still the king. He is still the Lord of all creation. All the things that we have been reading and studying up to the point of this passage, Jesus has been proclaimed as the glorious King, the wonderful Savior, the amazing God over good times, but also over hard times. And I know just from, um, from hearing some of the pastoral issues in the last few weeks, there are people going in through this church really hard and difficult times. And... Um, it feels like you're in a season of, of real challenge and difficulty. So this message hopefully does not come in any way as one which is um, assuming or neglecting your pain or your difficulties. Because I don't think that is the heart. That's not, certainly my, my, not my heart. And it's not hopefully the heart of, of, of anybody in this church to be blasé about the pain and the hardship that you may be going through in this right time right now. But uh, we have intersected where we are in Colossians with this passage about Paul's suffering. And I don't want to skimp over it. I would rather just maybe just take a detour around it sometimes. You know, you get to a bit of the Bible and you think, hmm, that's a bit of a hard one. I wonder how people are going to receive this. But we can't ignore the timing that God has placed in, in this passage coming right now. So I will ask if you would just pray with me because um, it's been, as I said before, it's been a tricky week for me. Uh, and it's been a heavy topic to preach on. But I want to just ask for God's help to not just help me, but to help us listen and to receive uh, all that God would have for us this morning. So would you just join me in prayer? as we just commit uh, this message to him. Father, thank you that uh, we've declared already uh, that you make all things work for the good of those who love you. We've declared already this morning um, that you uh, are holy. Evermore, our hearts will say, above all, we live for your glory. We've already sung this morning that uh, even though the wind is strong and the water is deep, we're not alone in these open seas because your love never fails. And Lord, I pray that that would not just be something that's in our heads that we sing and just gloss over, but it would be a deep-rooted truth that is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So give us ears to hear, I pray, and hearts to believe and to trust in your great love for every single person here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're talking about Paul this morning. Paul. And uh, Paul is an amazing guy. Um, Sometimes we... We, we can read the New Testament and we just read about this guy, Paul, and 
it's just kind of we read it and we read bits and pieces. But have you ever read through uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles, maybe from maybe chapter 16 through onwards? It's all about Paul. It's all about his life, all about his missionary journey. 30 years of ministry, serving, living for Jesus. And in those 30 years, his life, you'd think, you know, with Christian maturity and Christian growth, that things only get better. Uh, from a physical point of view, maybe from a spiritual point of view, but maybe from a physical point of view, his life was like this. His ministry was one of, of, of bringing the gospel to the Jews, um, going through real hardship, going, bringing the gospel then to the Gentiles, and ultimately going through real hardships, and we'll talk about those in a bit. But just to, on the outset, Paul was captivated by Jesus. Paul was captivated by Jesus, by the supremacy of the majesty, the wonder, the beauty of Jesus. And I want to just start this morning by asking you, does Jesus captivate you? Because one of the purposes of this sermon series in Colossians is to elevate Jesus and not just have him as a, a mental ascent. Oh, we know a little bit more about his character. We know a little bit more about his creator. Not just like knowing stuff about him. But we want you as a people to know him, to be gripped by him, to be captivated, to orientate your whole life around the person and the work of Jesus. Because if we get to the end of this series and we just know a little bit more about him, it wouldn't have been the best use of our time, to be honest. We want to move beyond just knowing and about, but to knowing him personally, intimately, devoted to him. And that's the purpose of going through Colossians, that we want to have a picture of Christ that captivates us for life. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture. And before I do, we're going to read Colossians 1, uh, verses 24 um, through to 29, I believe, through to the end of the chapter. Yeah, through to 29. But before that, I want to just read 23. I know that Anne preached it last week. But uh, it says in Colossians 1, 23, it says, I, Paul, have become a servant. And what he's talking about is he's become a servant of the gospel. He's been a ser- become a servant of the good news of Jesus. Paul's life is one of service. And I don't know about you, but uh, I was watching, um, what was it, Gladiator the other week, you know, the Russell Crowe one. And uh, it's a pretty cool movie. I remember watching it in, as, as a kind of student, and I thought, man, I want everyone wants to be like Maximus, this upright, right, um, really bold and courageous man. But he was the commander of an army. He was the general of all generals. He would have been like the ruler of Rome. If, if the Caesars had their way, but he was kind of um, stabbed in the back and he got pushed down and he became, basically, he got sold into slavery and his, all this other bad stuff happened to him. But in Roman life, the whole point of Roman life uh, was to ascend. Nobody wanted to be a servant. Nobody wanted to be the guy who had to, as a servant, you had no rights. You had no, absolutely no, um, I don't know how to say it. You have, you have no, you're just like a piece of meat. And that's what they called them, because ultimately Russell Crowe became a gladiator, he became a servant. He was the lowest of lows. He was just a piece of meat to be fed to the animals. And the whole point of Roman life was to ascend from servant to maybe an enslaved towards maybe you become a citizen of Rome, and then you become, you know, higher up that hierarchy. But Paul, he's a Roman citizen, but he chooses here to descend. Do you get that? He descends, and he says, I'm, I'm not going to claim that I'm citizen of Rome. I'm at this level here. His choice was to declare himself as a servant, a servant of the gospel, downward mobility. And isn't that wonderful to think about how the Christian call in our lives is not one 
of ascent, become, you know, what it may be, you become, uh, you become a leader, then you become a deacon, and you become a pastor. There's not this kind of ascent, a hierarchical ascent, but actually the call of Christ is one of descent and servanthood. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today through the life of Paul. His commitment to the gospel cost him a lot. We read this, we, if you read again, if you read through Acts, just read it as, as, a, as a story almost of, of, a, of, a, uh, of, of what he did and what he went through. His life is not one of, of victory upon victory upon victory. It's one of disasters and then victories, disasters and victories. And it's one like this where his ministry was coupled with difficulties and challenges. But in his own words, I'm just going to read from Philippians 3.8. Because many of us, I think, when we go through times of hardship and trials, we lose uh, the perspective of who Jesus is and what life is about. Let me just read from Philippians 8. And let these words just uh, speak over you. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the passing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that deepens, depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. You see, we're not too different from the Roman world because the Roman world says ascend and our current world in the Western world says your goal in life is to ascend. Next job, bigger car, bigger house, more stuff, accumulation, wealth. That's your goal. That's what marketing says. That's what every single message that comes from this world is, it's this Western world is saying to us. That our goals in life is to conquer and to increase and to go towards comfort. Yet the gospel says, and this is Jesus speaking, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. That's Mark 8, 35. So my goal today is, is not to uh, discourage you, but it's to encourage you to find out what truly is the most valuable thing that you can live for. My goal today is to speak honestly, hopefully, uh, about suffering uh, from Paul's perspective and to, sh- and to know that when you share it, and share through suffering, that somehow you will in, uh, be encouraged, you will be matured in your faith as we walk through this. So, if, Andrew, would you just put up a first slide? We're going to start from uh, Colossians 1.24, and we're just going to walk through this passage of, these passages of Scripture. So, again, Paul has been... Um, oh, Andrew has disappeared. <laughs> Why don't you open your Bibles then? Why don't you open your Bibles uh, to Colossians 1.24? Hope it's going to be on there. But this, the title of this first portion is Use Your Suffering to Become Like Jesus. Use Your Suffering to Become Like Jesus. Let's read it. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Suffering and rejoicing are two words you don't normally put together, are they? <laughs> if we're honest about ourselves, when I think of pain and trials and difficulties, the automatic word that comes alongside it is not joy. It is tears. <laughs> it is, ah. Oh. You know, it is not two words that you would normally associate together. But Paul clearly states them together. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
Um, I don't know if you've met any Christians. I, I, was, I was thinking about some. I, thankfully, I don't know any. But uh, I was thinking, you know, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. I got hit by a car. Hooray! Praise God. Thankfully, it wasn't a bus. You know, there's kind of this weird attitude I think sometimes we can have that we have to somehow um, delight in suffering in some weird kind of twisted way. And, uh, you know, the Ned Flanders syndrome, maybe, is, maybe you know someone like that. But it's all a bit, it sounds all a bit fake, doesn't it? It all sounds a bit precarious in terms of who these people really are and what their motives are. But Paul purposely puts in these two words next to each other, rejoicing in suffering. And, you know, I think some of us already, I'm getting this feeling that we probably, when I first read this, I've kind of recoiled and my heart was kind of slightly closed because I don't enjoy suffering. And hopefully you don't either. Um, you shouldn't enjoy suffering. You shouldn't be reveling in it and, and celebrating it from a physical first perspective. Because the whole, and, and just want to remind us that the culture spends a vast amount of time defending ourselves from suffering. We buy insurance, don't we? We uh, put security in our doors. We, we do everything we can to try and avoid pain, troubles, and suffering. But the reality of life is that trials will come. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. It might be something really deep, which I have no understanding of. But all I know is that in this life, trouble comes, regardless of who you are. Christian, non-Christian, man, woman, child. At some point in your life, something will knock you. And you have to have an idea of how to deal with that. No matter how hard we try to prevent it, or deny it, even, uh, we will all at some point go through trials and hardship. But how do we approach it? Paul is very honest in his approach to it. Um, let me just give you a little bit of a history of who, what Paul went through. And if you want to read his accounts, go and read through, go through the book of Acts. But he summarizes, Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 11. It says here, for imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. This is him talking about his 30-year ministry. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers, sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposed. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. This is Paul's ministry. 30 years, imprisonment, beatings, flogged by Jews, mobs chasing after him out of cities, shipwrecked, sleepless, hunger, thirsted, abandoned. And let's just remind ourselves where Paul is right now writing this letter. He's at the end of his, near the end of his ministry, 30 years on. He's sitting in a Roman jail, writing to people he's never met before. And he's not hiding away from his troubles and his past. He's using it and sharing it and ultimately wanting to encourage the wider church through his suffering, despite his suffering. He wants to celebrate something of what Jesus has done through his life. Now, if you've read this verse before, um, there's something which is quite tricky in this passage. Um, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, if you read that bit carefully, um, we have to be a bit careful because whole doctrines and 
cultish doctrines have been formed on this idea of suffering, my, your own sufferings. Um, it sounds like, when we read this, that Christ's sufferings somehow needed to be added to, doesn't it? It says here that in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. And that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? And I just want to be careful with this because let's just address this here because what it's not saying, what it is not saying, and just to be clear, is that Jesus didn't suffer enough on the cross for salvation. That is not what it's saying here, even though it sounds something like that. We're approaching Easter, and, and Easter we celebrate that, and remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins totally. He said on the cross, it is finished. All the work of, all the work of salvation is completed at the death of Jesus. We don't add to his to the salvation message. We don't add to the work of Jesus. Jesus is said it's finished at the cross. But what is then Paul saying here? What does it mean that his afflictions are adding on? The good news is that we don't have to add anything to earn salvation. Jesus has done everything. It says in Ephesians that the gift, the grace of God is this, that we have received it as a gift of God. No one should boast. We don't add to gain anything for salvation. So what is Paul saying? I think it's not saying that Jesus' sufferings is lacking. Jesus' work is complete. But I think what it is saying, and this is reading through commentaries and reading through what other people have gone through in understanding this, is that what is lacking is the process of somebody taking the salvation message of Jesus to somebody else, bringing the good news of salvation, bringing the good news of Jesus' suffering and completion of his salvation to somebody else. Jesus has saved you. He's captured your heart. He's captivating you with his good news. Are you then choosing to take that message to somebody else? And in that process, you may suffer. I think this is what Paul is saying, that actually what we don't do, we don't add to salvation. We bring the salvation message to somebody else. But in that process you may suffer. You might be rejected. You might become embarrassed. In other countries in this world, you could be slaughtered. But the heart of the message is that you have received the gift of salvation. Honestly, this may involve suffering to pass it on to others. I wonder who brought the message of salvation to you? Who brought it to you? Maybe there's somebody specific. Maybe there's an event. Maybe there was a time and a place where somebody brought that message to you. And maybe that cost them something. Is this message, is this good news something that we want to bring to this world? Because it is dying without it. Paul suffers here as an evangelist. He doesn't suffer for the sake of suffering. He suffers for the, for the cause of Christ. And we read a little bit of his backstory to understand why he is so captivated by this message. Saul was his name before. Saul was uh, Paul before his conversion. He was a persecutor of the church. He went through the effort and the toil of going around the early church and capturing them, putting them in prison, beating them, affirming their stonings. That is what Paul did before he met Jesus. And he's blinded on the road to Damascus. Jesus comes from heaven. He's, Jesus has already ascended. He comes from heaven and he says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Acts 9. 
And in that process, Paul is blinded. His vision is taken away from him. And he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He's trying to figure out. He thought he was serving the most high God, but he was actually persecuting God and his church. And Jesus calls um, a follower called Ananias to go and restore Paul. And in that process, uh, he tells Paul this. Paul, I'm, I'm going to restore, God says to Ananias, I'm going to restore Paul. But Paul's got to know how much he must suffer for my name. That's Acts 9, 15. I think we learn two things through the, uh, the calling and the uh, salvation of Paul. Firstly, that Jesus feels the suffering of his people. Sometimes we get this a bit wrong, don't we? That we think, God, you're in heaven. You're fine. I'm here on earth. I'm going through times of trials. But when the church suffers, Jesus suffers too. I just want you to get that picture in your mind because it's so comforting to know that Jesus feels the suffering of his people. I don't know if it's like this. I don't know if you've ever loved somebody so much that when, you go through, when they go through a hard time, even though it's not you physically suffering or whatever it may be, you still feel that pain. You still feel that anxiety. You still feel that trouble for them. And they experience that. And that's like Jesus. Imagine Jesus loves his church so much that when his people suffer, he suffers with them as well. I remember a time when um, my, my dad, uh, who his, his, he's the oldest son in, in, our, in his family, and uh, in Hong Kong, uh, his, his mom died, my grandma died. And I wasn't very, that close to my grandma, but when my dad had to go back to uh, do all the funeral stuff when she passed away, um, I went with my dad just to support him in that process. And even though I didn't know my grandma so well, obviously my dad was grieving for, for her. And I remember feeling such grief and anxiety and pain and grief for him. And that is the thing that Jesus does for us as well. He feels us. He knows our anxiety. He knows our pain. And he struggles alongside us and understands that. The second thing we learn from Paul's conversion is that suffering for the name of Jesus is a normal part of the Christian life. If anyone tells you any different, tell them to read the Bible. Because every single apostle, every single person who follows Jesus will tell you that you can try and avoid it. But if you truly live for the name of Jesus, you will come across opposition. The world, it says in verse 21 of Colossians 1, the world is hostile to Jesus. We were once hostile to him. That's what we read last week. And many of you have experienced this in your life, that the world has been hostile to your Christian faith. If you're a student on campus, I spoke to a student, I think, sometime last year, and they were saying that they did the campus ministries, and they were telling people about Jesus on the campus and having stalls and stuff, and they had serious opposition, people coming to them and being extremely violent and aggressive towards them. That is the world being hostile to the Christian message and the person of Jesus. Some of you uh, are in society, and you live out your lives, and it calls you to compromise your Christian walk and to be, uh, to be below what Christ has called you to do. And because you stand on the truth of who God is and who you believe Christ to be, you will suffer. You, maybe you won't get that promotion. Maybe you won't get the opportunity. Maybe people will ridicule you. That is what, why we celebrate Jesus, because he is worth more than all of that. The late Billy Graham said this, Our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. Our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. Our lives have to be right before God. We want to represent the King of Kings. He is more valuable 
than what society says we need. So in speaking this over you, um, I just want to cover, just to broaden it a little bit more, that there are many different types of suffering that I mentioned in the Bible. And um, some of them are due to persecution and the, and, and the gospel, but some of them are, are different as well. And I want to just talk through some of them and just give you a broader view of what, what suffering looks like in the Bible. Because the Bible doesn't leave us. I think one of the worst things that we can do in a church is to not have a good theology of suffering and when times are difficult. We need something to firm to stand on. And if our God cannot provide something for us during those times, what hope do we have? What pain do we suffer alongside with? So there are 30 of this... I'm reading from, uh, from research which somebody else did, which I get to benefit from, but uh, there are 13 kinds of responses uh, and types of suffering in the Bible. Um, starting from Genesis, there's epidemic suffering. There's suffering that purely comes because people have fallen. The first Adam sinned, and sin entered the world. And because of that, there is pain, there is groaning, there is uh, brokenness in this world, in this fallen world. There is demonic suffering. There are powers and principalities in this world that are operating. There is Satan, there are his demons, and they operate and they choose to oppress, deceive, destroy. And we experience, some of us experience that, and we will experience that in some way, I'm sure, of spiritual warfare. There is victim suffering, where you didn't actually do anything, but yet, because of someone else's actions, you get the consequences. Some of us might know about that. I don't know if anyone's run into your car before, or you ran into someone else's car. But, uh, you know, somebody goes out, and, and you're driving along, and they hit you. It wasn't your fault, but yet you go through all the pain and the troubles of all that happening. There's collective suffering, where as a community or a nation, when something terrible or tragedy happens, 9-11, um, 7-7 bombings, as a nation, we grieve together as a people, suffering all together. There's disciplinary suffering, where God, as a loving Father, chooses to correct and to use circumstances that seem painful at the time for our good and our benefit. Maybe there's something in our lives that He has to mature in us or has to develop in us, and that has to come through sometimes some discipline. There's persecution suffering, which I've already talked about, where opposition to Jesus causes you to have to suffer or to choose. Um standing for him rather than going along with the crowd. There's empathetic suffering, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. And some of us here are, are highly compassionate people. That you, when someone, you hear someone's pain, you identify with that as well. And you come alongside them, and that causes you that suffering and that pain and its experience as well. There's testimonial suffering, where as, you're, as you witnessed about Jesus and you choose to testify about him, people come and oppose you. But you choose to keep testifying and to present your life blameless before God, even though someone else may ridicule you. There's providential suffering, where God is doing something bigger than what you can see right now. Ultimately, what might come to my mind is the story of Joseph, how Joseph was uh, one of Jacob's sons, um, and God brought him from uh, being a son into slavery, to rise him up, raise him up and become a leader of a nation of, e of Egypt. I'm sure Joseph didn't know that at the very beginning when he went through and his brother sold him to slavery. But God's providential work was to save a nation. A famine came. He was in the right place. God gave him wisdom and dreams to establish the harvest and to collectively save a nation through that. 
There's mysterious suffering. We just don't know why it happens. I think of the story of Job. Why did that happen? We don't have the answer to the why question in that. Why did that happen? I don't know. But in some case, we'll see in part. We know in part. But when glory comes, we will see all things clearly. There's punishment suffering. Purely, if you do something wrong, you get punished for it. Yesterday, I parked my car in the wrong place. I got a ticket. I should have read the signs. But no, if you commit a crime, there's a price to pay because of the laws of our land. Punishment suffering. There's consequential suffering, reaping and sowing principle. If you eat junk food, junk comes out. If you uh, only eat crisps and don't drink enough water and all these things, you're going to get a bit bigger than you should do. It's just you are what you eat, right? You put what you put in your life, sometimes what comes out is a bit of suffering. And lastly, there's acropolitic suffering. That in Revelations, it talks about a time when wars, famine, increased tension, persecution will come. And it's all spoken about in the book of Revelations that we are going to encounter. All of this is here to say that suffering is not a simple thing. It's not a something that we can just say, this, this, this happened because of this and this. Suffering is complex. And in Paul's case, his suffering was one of many different of these facets all come together. And it's complex. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we know why. Sometimes we don't know why. Yet what we celebrate and what we want to rejoice in is a God who is over all of those circumstances. This is the God that we have been celebrating this morning. Even though the wind is strong and the water is deep, I'm not alone here in these open seas. Your love never fails me. And I want to be honest about it because Paul is honest as well. He's in prison. He's suffered numerous sufferings and we get to observe his life. But the principle here is that suffering does not define you. Your suffering does not define you. What defines you is how you respond to it. What defines you is how you will choose to respond to it in light of what Jesus has done. Paul's view in the circumstances that he's in is that it's an opportunity for him to learn, to grow, to know Jesus, and to serve others. And we're going to go through that in a little bit. Let's read that through. Let's go to the next slide if we can. Jess. So we get to focus on Jesus, don't we? We get to focus on Jesus. Let me just quickly just run through one thing before I go on to the next slide. Often the emotional response to suffering is we ask the question, why? Don't we? If you go through any pain, I bang my foot against the door. Why did that happen to me? I parked in the wrong place and I got a speeding fine or a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. Why did that happen to me? Why me? And that's often the emotional response that we go through when we, when we face challenges and trials. But I want to encourage you, as Paul does, I think, in this passage, is to ask some other questions as well. We need to ask the why question. We need to try and grapple with that. And maybe God will give us an answer. Maybe he won't. But we have to ask some other questions. Maybe one of the questions that we can learn is to ask is what? What can I learn about you, Jesus? Because it says in Hebrews 4 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every way uh, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. God, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Jesus, what, are you going, what do you want to teach me through this time of trial? What do you want to teach me? You went through difficulties. You went to the cross, yet without sin. Maybe there's something that, God, that you can teach me through this season and this difficulty. How can I be more like you, Jesus? How can I become more like you? Jesus, you suffered without sin. Teach me. Show me. You, I know what I'm going through. You're walking with me. What, what, who can I help that may be a suffering like me? These are maybe some of the questions we can ask. Who else is going through this right now? Maybe I can be a help because I've walked with Jesus through this situation. And sometimes we have to leave the faith question, the why question, as a faith, question, as a faith act. Sometimes we don't know the answer, but in God's timing, in all eternity, I'm sure there will be an answer for us in that point. But that takes faith to trust those why questions to him. Focus on Jesus and others. Let's read this quickly. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me from you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's ministry, uh, which has caused him to suffer, is one of unveiling the truth of God's revelation. Unveiling the truth of God's salvation. Um, the word here it says is mystery, um, the mystery hidden for ages. And what this mystery that Jesus, God, um, that Paul is talking about, is not something that is mysterious or unknown, but you just have to believe. And it's it's kind of something which is uh, you can't actually gain understanding of. What the mystery that Paul is talking about is a mystery that has been unveiled. It's like if my daughter Isabel was hiding behind a curtain at home, and she suddenly jumps out and goes, hello, like she always does. Um, she has suddenly unveiled herself. It's not that she wasn't there at the beginning. The mystery is true and knowable, but she has, God has chosen to reveal it over time. Through Abraham, the calling of a, person, of a man to become a great nation. Through this nation, the people of Israel and the Jewish people would come a Jewish Messiah that was promised, and he would save God's people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. But God doesn't stop there with the Jews. He chose then to send Jesus into this world and form a new people called Christian. There's no more any longer Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. There is one person. There's one man, one part of people, Christian. And that is the truth that God has revealed through hundreds and thousands of years that his, this mystery of salvation, how God will save his people from Adam, time all the way through to now where we are now has been the work of salvation that he has unveiled and this is what Paul has given his life to do he's given his life to tell others about this mystery whether they were Jewish and they're still looking for a Jewish Messiah to come or they're Gentiles and they're following after false gods that is what Paul has dedicated to his life his life too Paul's message is one of hope good news salvation for all people regardless of where you've come from and i want to tell everyone here if you are a christian or you're a non-christian or you don't know what i'm talking about there is a message of salvation for you this morning that you can know god because god has come to you and wants to reveal himself to you but the problem is that this message that paul has preached we know it's good news but people don't know it's good news 
People are hostile to it. And this is what Paul has experienced. His message, when he brings it to the Jews, he, he, he has offended them. He offends them because this Jesus is not the Savior they are looking for. He goes, he reads through Acts. He goes into the synagogues and preaches. People come, the, the religious leaders come, and they stir up a mob, and they, they beat him, and they, 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 he says about how he was whipped 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 lashes. He's done it several times, not just once. He's gone into then, the next synagogue, done the same thing. Another weeping, another bashing. He goes to another synagogue, and he's done it again. This message has captivated his heart. This person of Jesus has caused him to go through all of this, to keep proclaiming that message, taking it forwards. Not just the Jews and his brothers, though. He goes to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles don't want to know a Jewish savior. When he goes and preaches the messages in, in, the, nation, in, in the cities like Colossus and uh, sorry, in, in Corinthians and uh, the other, in the other cities, um, the gospel message causes people loss. As in there's, there's talk about how he preaches the gospel message and then people are making money out of worshiping false gods. And then all these other people are burning their spell books, which cost, you know, 10 years wages and stuff like that. And it's causing the whole financial system to crash because of this gospel message. Mobs are formed. They get rods. They beat Paul and his fellow compatriots. They put them in prison. Does that stop Paul? No. He goes on and goes and focuses on Jesus, the message that he's got to bring, and goes again. Even in prison, he goes and preaches to the jailers. The key point is that you can say the right thing, do the right thing before God and man, but you could still suffer. You can do the right thing but you can still go through hard times. And I think sometimes we, we have to get this message in our heads that, God, what did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. It's that people are hostile to Jesus and the message. But for us, it's still good news that we need to bring. Often we go through, I don't know if you're like me, but um, I think there's two ways sometimes we, we, we respond to times of suffering. Some of us are maybe more optimists, and I'd use that as a careful word, but we're more kind of winner mentality, that when suffering comes and trials come to my life, I'm a more of a, come on, I'm going to overcome this. I can do this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to get in control of this and overpower it. I'm going to go forwards and progress it and win. And maybe that's kind of your attitude, your winner kind of mentality. But I was saying there's also this other flip side, more extreme, which another extreme, which is there's maybe sometimes maybe a more loser mentality that you just let the troubles and trials come and you're engulfed by them. And they bring you down and you just can't get out of it. And you give in when it comes. Suffering comes, and to be honest, neither of those is good, better than the other. Sometimes you will win. Sometimes you won't win. Sometimes you will lose. Sometimes you won't lose. But what we can do is worship. What we can do is not choose to rely on ourself to overcome these circumstances, but we choose to orientate our lives towards Jesus and focus on him. We choose to worship because worship sets our eyes on our identity before Jesus. It says in this passage that we are his saints. We are not poultry. We are sons and daughters kings, uh, princes alongside the king of kings, the lord of lords. We are not left abandoned. We get to focus on who we are as saints. We get to set our identity on Jesus again. Worshiping resets our identity. It sets us 
so that we know our person, who we are before Jesus. But worship also sets our, our eyes on glory and hope. Again, in this passage, it says here that the hope that we have is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We get to know that our suffering is not an eternal thing. There is a time and a place for it in this life, and there will be a day, and there will be seasons in this life, but there will come a day where Christ will wipe every tear away. That is our great hope, that we have glory. We have Christ in us right now for every single season. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light and momentary affliction. In light of eternity, what we go through now is so small. It doesn't seem like that. I'm not trying to belittle it anyway. It's what we experience right now. But we have to have this view of glory to come. We have to have this view. I love the picture that Anne preached last week about how Christ is wanting to mature us. He's wanting us to bring us uh, holy and blameless, beyond reproach, before the Father. That beautiful picture he used of kind of um, the uh, period drama kind of girls when they come and present themselves before society. That is what Jesus wants to do one day. He wants to use trials and tra- temptations, and oh, sorry, trials and difficulties, and even sometimes temptations, and we've struggled and battled through to present us homely, holy, mature Christians, sons, daughters before the Father. What a beautiful picture that is of hope that we have, that Christ is for us, who can be against us. And my last point we wanted to share from this. And this is focused on others. We get to share what we learn through our times of difficulties. And then Michael preached on this uh, wonderfully a a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to cover it in great detail. But the big picture is that Paul says, still, despite trials and temptations and difficulties and hardship, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this Paul toils, struggling with all Christ's energy, that Christ works powerfully within me. If you are a Christian you have a ministry. If you are a Christian now, and you're breathing, and still on this earth with us, you have a God-given, Christ-centered ministry still to live out. You don't need to be up here preaching. You don't need to be a worship leader. You don't need to be a ministry leader. Whatever it is, you have right now a ministry to live out. And it doesn't depend on your season. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends on your person that Jesus called you to be and his calling on your life. You have a calling to testify about him. You have a calling to witness about him. Your Christian ministry may just be the display of your life before your work colleagues, before your friends, how you live differently in light of Jesus. Your ministry doesn't start at 9 a.m. and ends at 5 p.m. like a job. Your ministry is to your family. Your ministry is to your children. Your ministry is to your unbelieving uh, parents. Whatever it may be, every facet of your life is a ministry of bringing people nearer and nearer to Christ. And your ministry may be in the church to other people. Your ministry right now might be to come alongside those who are hurting and broken and struggling. And that is the call of the church. The call of the church is to be humble and honest about what's going on in our lives, Often, so often in church, we can be part of the facade of how we are. But actually, what we're called to do and called to be is people in every season 
to display what Christ is working within us. Your deepest ministry might well come from your deepest pain. Just consider that for a moment because some of us have gone through real hardship. Maybe not through any fault of your own. But in Christ's economy, he doesn't want you to not invest that into something glorious. I know it may be hard right now. It might not look like any reality right now, but your deepest ministry might be from your deepest pain. We can comfort others, as it says in Corinthians, with the comfort that we have received. Maybe that's something right now that, that you've walked through something with Jesus already, and you're seeing how this has opened up ministry opportunity to serve other people. Maybe some of you are right in the middle of it right now. You just need someone to come alongside you and to serve you and to receive that ministry because maybe they need someone who understands what they're going through right now. It could be divorce. It could be loss of a parent. It could be anxiety. It could be cancer. It could be health. We need people in this community who have walked through those things with Jesus so that their deepest pain become a deep ministry that serves and loves other people. And if you've gone through something hard in your life, I pray that you would process that with Jesus and with other people. But when you go through hard things and you make mistakes, that doesn't disqualify you. If you've come to Jesus and you've repented and he's healed you and he's helped you, or you've had pain and someone's done something to you and you've received healing from Jesus, you are a blessing to this community because you get to help other people through those same journeys. You know, only Jesus got it right all the time. Nobody here is disqualified from ministry. Only Jesus got it right. And they killed him as well. What a joy we get to share and walk with other people through difficult and challenging times. And your suffering is such a gift to this community. There's stuff which I haven't gone through yet, which I'm going to need help in. There's stuff that some of you have gone through, and you're in it right now, but you know that this is a ministry that you can pour out into other people's lives. The beauty of the church is that every single person gets to help another person to mature in Christ, whatever that looks like for you. So my prayer for you this morning, Forest Town, is not that you would stay and, and, and suffer alone. Your suffering is precious to Jesus and to every single person in this place, I'm sure. It costs you a lot, and I don't want you to lose that investment that you have. I don't want you to waste it, but I want you to invest it for Jesus. Open your hearts to him. Maybe you, need to, you want to walk alongside other people. Maybe you need someone to walk alongside you right now today. And we get to do that as a church. We get to do that in helping each other, maturing Christ, toiling and struggling with all the energy and the power that works so powerfully within us.